You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning. My name is Kara Wiebe, and I have been attending City Free City for about a total of three and a half years, and I have the privilege of being a part of the Heights Higginbotham Wiebe City Group. And I also get to serve in Free City Kids and also help with the prayer team. So today's scripture reading is from Matthew 8, 1 through 17, and it's on page 762 in the Bibles under your seats. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded, for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, Many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, I thank you for this opportunity to gather um, under your word and be taught by your word this morning. And so I just pray that as Casey comes and preaches your word, Lord, that you uh, would speak through him, that your word would not return void, uh, but that it would move in our hearts and lead to transformation. And so God, I just ask that you would remove all distractions and that we would be able to clearly hear from you. Um, Lord, I also pray for Central and for the students and the teachers and the administrators who who gather here on a weekly basis. Lord, I pray that you would move in a mighty way in those people's hearts. God, that it wouldn't just be us gathering here on Sundays, but that your spirit would remain and continue to be at work. That you would be building your kingdom even in these halls and in these classrooms. Um, And so, Father, I just ask that you would help students and teachers to come to know you um, and to walk with you, to live as light in the darkness. Um, And so, Lord, I just pray your blessing over this time this morning. In your name, amen. 
Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Casey. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you have your Bibles, uh, I kind of want to kind of show where we are as we're getting started. And so, obviously, we're in Matthew 8. Uh, you were even told the page number if you find a, a Bible under your seat. But on some of a look in just kind of where we've been, and so we're jumping back into Matthew. Um, we were in Matthew, and we just finished the Sermon on the Mount. And so it starts off with Jesus coming down the mountain, or, or coming down the hill. And what we see is another section of Matthew is starting, and how these sections of Matthew work, there's like five different sections of Matthew, is you have Jesus interacting with people, People making decisions about who he is, some walking away, some entering in, some confused, some following with devotion and love. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. And then some getting murderously angry. And so you have these sections where Jesus interacts with people and they're responding in a different way. And then those sections end with Jesus teaching and that teaching is saying something about those interactions. And so if, if you look at this, like just take a second, I, I marked it, here we go. And so we're gonna be in Matthew 8 and we're doing a, a lot of verses, so buckle up. Um, but then if you keep looking, Matthew 8 goes to Matthew Nine, apparently, and we see Jesus interacting with a lot of different people. And then we step into Matthew 10, and if you have a red letter Bible, all of a sudden you see a bunch of red words. And so Jesus says, hey, all these interactions that I had, I have teaching for these interactions. I just didn't come to heal. I came to tell you what the kingdom of God is like. And I came to warn you that there's gonna be reactions in your soul when you interact with the kingdom of God. But I also came to tell you that light always penetrates darkness and there is no darkness in you or around you that I can't defeat. And so then even just looking at this, what we're gonna be covering in the next several weeks is Jesus encounters sickness. Disease is no, it's, it's no match for Jesus. He, he encounters sickness and all kinds of sickness here, like really serious sickness, like leprosy and paralysis. And then he finds, you know, Peter's mother-in-law, and she has a fever, and he's like, oh, I can handle that too. And then if you see in the next session, he encounters the elements, the storms, nature. It's nothing for Jesus. It, 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 nature obeys him. It follows him. It does what he says. And so like even in this, like disease and this world obeys and follows him. And so even when things feel outside of the control of God, they never are. And then if you look at the end of Matthew 8, he encounters demons. And man, they see him clearer than we see him. They beg him to not exercise his power over them right now, although they know his power is coming. And so like this section, like I want you to know, like the main overarching thing is to make you feel safe. There is nothing in you that is too much for the son of God. There is nothing that can happen around you that will pull you out of God's grace. There is nothing that has power over you that the grace of God does not rule with might. There is safety when we follow after Jesus. But right here, we're going to see several things. And first, I want you to see just how lucky you are. 
And so if you look at verses one through four, you see in verse four, after Jesus heals the leper, he says, go and show the priests that you're healed so all might be good. And like, that kind of seems weird. Like, if you're sick, don't come to me. Um, Don't come to me. This is a reflection of Leviticus 13 and 14, specifically dealing with, with leprosy. And so in Leviticus 13 and 14, what happens in this time is the priest also served as kind of like a CDC governing agent. And so like, you know, community health. And so if you were like unsure, like you woke up and you saw a rash, and you're like, man, I don't know what that is. You were supposed to go to church um, and, and get that looked at. Don't do that. Don't do that. You are not going to get good advice from me. Like, I've learned some things about myself. I tend to decide on the outcome that I prefer. So Quinn uh, fell out of her bunk bed and broke her arm. Uh, she fell out of her bo- the bottom bunk <laughs> and broke her arm. Um, but instantly, man, she was hurt, and she was, like, holding it, and she, you know, we, we, we evaluated it, and Kinsey was concerned, and I said, no, oh, it's fine. Based on no evidence, based on, I don't want it to be broken, that sounds expensive. Uh, later that night, when it like swelled a lot and did not look fine, um, I realized, man, there's something wrong with me. Um, so I, I tend to want the outcome I prefer. Um, if you feel sick, I usually prescribe drinking water and just denying that you're sick. Like, I usually just say, man, I mean, have you drank water? You know, my kids are sick. I'm like, have you had some water? Um, and they're like, this magical thing called water. Which is a side note. Water's like a big deal these days. Like, at school, like, listen, this is serious. At school, like, you were lucky to go to the water fountain like twice a day. Now you have like camel packs with you all the time. It's like a big deal. But that's usually just what I prescribe. Like, you know, if it's a physical injury, I usually just recommend doing what hurts. Like, if it hurts to put weight on it, I'm like, you should probably put weight on it. If it hurts to touch, I'm like, you should probably just rub that out. Uh, One of my kids had a canker sore, and they're like, what should I do? I'm like, you should put salt on it. And they said, why? How does it help? I was like, it hurts. It hurts like fire. It's like molten lava. And they said, well, how does that help? I'm like, well, you forget about the normal pain after that. I mean, I don't know. But so like, this used to be the thing. Like, if you were sick, you went to church. Now the thing is, if you're sick, stay home. Don't make us sick. But what happens is Jesus is interacting with these lives. And the main idea of Matthew 8 is all of these sickness, they all come to Jesus and he has something for every one of them. And his response to all of them is similar in that he embraces, but his response is subtly different. Jesus has something for you in sickness and suffering. And sometimes we want his response to be something that we've seen or something that we've heard. His response might be different for you, but he has something that will touch the deepest need about you because he sees something deeper in you that you may not be aware of or he sees something in front of you that you might need to be equipped for or he knows of wounds behind you that you don't want to look at. And so what we see is Jesus has something for everyone who comes and it's exactly what they need. And whatever you have, I want you to know the strong son of God, the lion of Judah, the lamb who was slain has exactly what you need. 
And so look, we're gonna have two main points. And so first we're gonna talk about encountering sickness. And I'm just gonna like, what can I expect when my life encounters sickness and suffering? So encountering sickness. And then we're gonna look at encountering Jesus. What can I expect when Jesus encounters my sickness and suffering? And so first, encountering sickness. What can I expect when my life encounters sickness and or suffering? And what we see in this passage is we see isolation, we see limitation, and we see doubt. Or or to say it even more simply, like, man, we see pain and doubt. And, And so, like, let's look at these individually. And so, first, sickness and suffering brings isolation, Like we see isolation in each of these accounts. We see it in verses 1 through 4. We see it in verses 5 through 13. We see it in verses 14 through 15. That sickness isolates people. It holds them with like an invisible grip and seemingly inescapable grip from loved ones. And it holds them and marginalizes them. It takes them away from what they see their life should be doing. And so look at these. Like look at verses 1 through 4. Like we we see the leper, and the leper, as he comes to Jesus, he asks this question like, I know you can heal me, but are you willing to heal me? But him approaching Jesus was a big problem because he was legally quarantined. He was in isolation. He was unable to be close to the ones he loved, legally bound and warned, forced to warn people if they approached him, I am unclean, I am dangerous. His life was spent in isolation. It's kind of true also, like look at the centurion's servant, look at verses 5 through 13. He was sick and paralyzed, like he was unable to join his co-workers and to do what he normally do. He was tied to a mat or a bed, unable to interact with anyone on eye level. He was isolated. He had fears like, will it ever end? I mean, that fear is enveloping in itself. Or like, will I always be this way? Will this always be me? Will I always live as a burden upon other people? Is there hope for someone like me? Those questions are isolating. Or verses 14 and 15, you see Peter's mother-in-law, like she was just in the back room sick, unable to entertain. And so like we see like variances, like these are different in in extremes. Like her isolation was less, but it was still real. Like the sickness and suffering may vary in in time and severity, but they all have an isolating effect. They all have something that brings pain. As I was studying, I was reading a medical journal and it talked about you know, chronic illness, long-term illness. And it said, man, long-term illness has an effect in itself. But the isolation that it causes, the separation it causes from people, the limitation that it causes upon a person has a devastating effect upon them. And then it correlated with like, saying like, it can almost be as deadly in itself as the, you know, the outcomes that we see from like, high blood pressure. And, you know, and it listed several things. And so, like, what happens when we step into sickness or suffering? You start to feel isolated. But you also feel limitation. Like, like look, at the, these, look, look at these scenes again. Look at these people again. Like, the isolation and the limitation, it limits their ability. The leper here could never enter a, no, a room normally. He had to announce his presence and stay at a distance. It limited him. 
Or, or the centurion servant who is paralyzed, he's now jobless. He's now living at the mercy and pity of others. It limited him. Or you see Peter's mother-in-law, too weak to attend her family and host her guests. They all have a limitation in their ability. The leper risked a lot to approach Jesus and the crowd that followed him. The paralyzed servant depended upon his boss to intercede for him. Peter's mother-in-law depended upon Peter to ask for her. Do you know what it feels like? To feel the inability of something you used to do, but now it feels lost and you don't know if it's ever going to come back. All of these would testify to something. Man, if my life had this, it would be better. But the, the limitation was very real. They had loss. They also had doubt and fear. You know, the third thing, sickness and suffering erodes faith and seeks to kill hope. It just does. Like when the circumstances of your life are seemingly indefeatable in your life and you believe in a sovereign God who can do anything and you read things like this, like he opened the eyes of the blind and he he made the deaf hear and the lame walk and you start to wonder, man, what about me? Like maybe my faith isn't real or maybe God isn't real or maybe his love for me isn't real. What about me? In Matthew 11, John the Baptist is in prison, and uh, he didn't see his life turning out that way. And so what had happened was, you know, he was baptizing people in the desert, and this huge crowd was following him. And then he baptizes Jesus, and this incredible thing happens. You know, he baptizes Jesus, and he hears, you know, God say, this is my son who I'm well pleased. He sees the Holy Spirit descend upon him, and people start following Jesus. And over time, his ministry started to get smaller. And his disciples, his followers said, hey, man, you baptized that guy Jesus, and now everyone's going after him. What about us? And he has this maturity of faith. Like he, he was suffering, like he was losing, but he said, oh man, it's better. He must increase, I must decrease. But all of a sudden he's decreased a lot and he's in prison. And in Matthew 11, he sends word to Jesus through his disciples. And he says this in just authenticity. He says, hey, are you the one we've been looking for or should we look for someone else? He says, like, listen, like, man, I, I, I oriented my life around you. I lived in the desert. Nobody wants to live in the desert. I wore camel hair clothes. Like you can't find those anywhere because no one wants to wear them. He says, I ate grasshoppers. I used honey, that helped. But I ate grasshoppers. I oriented my life around you. And now this is what my life looks like. John the Baptist had information and he had experience. I mean, he knew Jesus. He was the first to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. He baptized Jesus, saw the Holy Spirit come down and rest upon him and say, this is my son. Like that's some front row stuff. Like John the Baptist was seasoned in faith and seasoned in ministry. And yet when suffering entered his life, doubt started to grow. Have you ever experienced doubt about the goodness of God or the care of God or the power of God? Have you ever wondered when you look at the circumstances of your life, 
does God really love me? See, like the isolating effect of sickness and suffering, man, it definitely isolates, it definitely limits, but it also starts to attack faith. It also starts to attack, like if we're looking at this, like the first thing I want you to see, we, we looked at different kinds of sufferers, and it's easy to say, man, I haven't suffered like that, so my suffering doesn't matter. But the first thing we just want to say is, all suffering is real. Like all suffering is real. And the second thing we want to see is the biblical witness that ultimately all suffering is the result of sin, whether sin that I do or sin that is done to me or sin that exists in this broken world. And God has come to set the world right. He's not acting in supernaturally in the way of like, you know, to say, man, this is how it should be. He's acting supernaturally to say, this is the way it was. And I'm showing you the way back so that you can live before God himself. And so suffering is real. Sin is real. And the point is not how big or small your suffering is. All suffering is suffering. The point is there are things that come with suffering and Jesus can meet you in that. And the danger is when we encounter suffering, we start to interpret suffering to mean something and our interpretation may or may not be right, but it starts to give us meaning in who God is and who we are. So Paul Tripp in uh, Instrument in the Redeemer's Hands, he says this. He says this, saying that we are meaning makers, hardwired to seek interpretation for life's events. He says, we do not live our lives based on the bare facts of our existence. We live our lives according to our interpretation of those facts. You know, another book that talks about suffering, uh, Redemption by Mike Wilkerson, he says this. He says, abuse, addiction, and assorted trouble, that can mean sickness and suffering, sends us searching for answers, explanation, and stories to make meaning of it all. We need to know that the story that makes sense of life, the story about a personal redeemer who offers hope for real redemption, this is the story of God as told in the Bible. And so both are saying, like, we start to interpret things that are happening to us. And he says, we need help in making those interpretations. Like, what can I expect when I encounter sickness and suffering? We see in all these lives, we see isolation. We see limitation. And we see an eroding of faith. Has that ever been you? Is that you? But what can we expect when Jesus encounters my sickness and suffering? What will we see when Jesus enters in or when we bring it to him? And what we see here is we see touch, we see power, and we see purpose. And so the first thing we see touch, it says, your, you know, we see your greatest need is not out of God's reach. He can touch you. He can reach you. And I wish I could tell you that if you have Jesus, you will never be sick or you will never suffer. I wish that I could tell you that if you are sick, but you offer to Jesus, he will instantly take it away. I can tell you that Jesus is able to heal and Jesus has healed. We're seeing him heal here. We see him open the eyes of the blind and make the lame walk and the deaf hear and even the dead are raised. He did do it. He did it a lot. But he didn't heal everyone. He didn't heal everyone. 
And the question is like, why? And some will say that Jesus wants to heal everyone, but he won't if your faith is too little. And I'm telling you that the Bible says that faith is a part of it, but the strength of your faith is measured in the object of your faith, what you're putting it in, not in the condition of your faith. So faith is a part of it. In 1 Corinthians 12, in verse 9, we see a glimpse into uh, Paul's faith, which Paul had some pretty awesome faith. And what he says is he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, he says that he asked Jesus to take away a thorn in his flesh three times. And so I don't think he just said, hey, Jesus, would you take the thorn of the flesh away? Hey, Jesus, take the thorn of the flesh away. Hey, Jesus, take the thorn of the flesh away. I think it means three times in his life, he really begged God with compelling reasons of why he shouldn't be suffering like this. Now, people uh, can argue about what the thorn in flesh is, but like that phrase, that Greek phrase is used in antiquity more than once, and it's always used to talk about a physical ailment, like a bodily problem. And so people speculate about what it is, but I think with confidence, like Paul was coming and he was saying, I have a bodily problem that I know you can heal, and God had used Paul to heal people. And so he's like, I know you can heal this. And so he pleaded probably with like reasons. I would be such a better church planter and discipler if I didn't have this problem. Like, God, I'm suffering. Help me. You've helped others. Will you help me? And what he hears from Jesus is no. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so then the change of heart and probably a conditioned change of heart that he had to work really hard on was, therefore I will boast in my weakness so the power of Christ might rest upon me. And so Jesus, he doesn't always heal. But look at these healings. Look at what we find. Look at verse one. It says, when he came down from the mountain, so Jesus, he just got done teaching. Great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can, heal, you can make me clean. Like, he's saying, if it's your will or your desire, I know you can. Like, do you want to heal me? Do you want to take away what is hurting me? And so both of these have confidence and a question. So first, confidence, he says, I know you can. I've heard that you've done it. I might even know people you did it for. But there's also a question, are you willing to do it for me? Like, have you ever struggled with either of those questions? Like, both those questions, like, there's always a part of me that believes easily, and there's another part of me that comes out in suffering. Like, it comes out with accusations like, man, if you can, why won't you? Maybe you won't. If you haven't, maybe you're not willing to. I'm assuming that I can see all of God's reasons and he's just being mean and wants to hurt. I'm assuming that I know all that he sees and there couldn't be a possible reason for him not to act. I'm assuming that he's not good enough to act. And the question is, what if God is loving and he is being patient with you and he's saying, hang on, there's more. There's more than you can see, more in you that I'm working on, more coming that you will see and understand one day. There's more. Can you trust me? And then what happens is really, really beautiful. I think it actually captures a part of the heart of God. Like look at verse three. 
And so the question may, I know you can, will you? And then look at verse three, it says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. So Jesus touched him. He said, I will. And then he was cleansed. Like, have you stopped to think about the beauty of Jesus' response? Like Jesus touched him. Then he healed him. Nobody ever touched him. Like that was kind of the purpose. Like you, you, he had to yell, I'm unclean. Don't come near me. Don't touch me. If you didn't get sick from touching him, if you were a good Jew, then you would have to go through a ceremony to get, un, to get clean because you were now contaminated by his uncleanness. So you couldn't even go to church. Like there's this beauty that Jesus stoops down and just touches him. He didn't have to touch him. He could have just said the word and it was gone. Like that's how he heals the servant. He doesn't even get close to him. But Jesus touches him and then he looks at him and he says, I am willing. But then it goes on, verse four, and Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gifts that Moses commands for proof of them. Like this, act, this kind of communication actually happens a lot. Like, hey, this is awesome. This changes everything in your life. Don't tell anyone. And no one ever obeys. Like, oh man, I won't tell anyone. I could come home. And you know, the question is like, why? And you know, Jesus is pop, I mean, we see at the end of this chapter, like his popularity is growing and people are seeking hope. And they come to him because they're sick and they're suffering. But that was only a part of his ministry. The other part of his ministry was to tell the good news that the kingdom of God is come and it's found in him. And if you confess your sins, you can have forever life with God. And so he's like, keep it on the down low. But don't miss what's being said here. Like Jesus identifies with the uncleanliness of the leper in order to make the leper clean. In this quick scene, like we get a preview of what Jesus will do on the cross. Like Jesus takes our sin and shame upon himself. He bears it by bringing it to himself and we are declared clean. Like we have things in our lives now, past and present that make us feel dirty or shameful or untouchable, sins we've struggled with or sins that have been committed against us. Like have you ever felt untouchable? The cross says that Jesus will identify with you where you are and he can intercept your life and he can touch your life in such a way that he will pull all of that shame and all that's been done upon himself so that you can be declared clean. The Bible's clear. One day, all suffering, all disease, all sadness will be gone. I can't promise you that Jesus will just take it away right now. But I can promise you that you're never too far that he can't reach and touch you right where you need to be touched. So the first we see a touch. The second we see power. Like you're not beyond the scope of Jesus's work and power. He can reach you. You are not outside. And we see this with the centurion servant. So look at verse five. It says, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. 
And he said to him, I will come and I will heal him. You know, something that I love in each of these sections is Jesus says, I will. Okay, I will. Like he said to the leper, okay, I will. He says to the centurion, I will. He implies it to to Peter's mother-in-law, I will. And so we see this willingness of God coming out. So he says, I will come and I will heal. Now look at verse eight. It says, but the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And so the centurion recognizes something. The centurion recognizes power in Jesus, that he has authority over these things. And he says, listen, I trust your power and authority. And so he says, listen, I know that you can say something, and it will obey And, you know, there's nothing in the Gospel of Matthew that would say the centurion had heard that he did this for others, you know, healing from a distance. There's just a certainty that he had that says, man, I see a power in you, and I know nothing is outside of your grip, outside of your power. I think you can do it. Is that true for you? Or is there something in your life that feels outside of the authority or power of Jesus? Is there a problem or a difficulty? Or is there something inside of you that you just don't know if God can reach deep enough to touch it like it feels outside? And so like this this would have been a little bit scandalous because the, the centurion, like he wasn't Hebrew. His servant wouldn't have been Hebrew. They would have been a part of the Gentile occupying force that was seen as the enemy of the Jewish people. And Jesus says, I'm willing. And he says, I know you can. You don't even have to show up. Just say the word. And so Jesus just says, there's nothing outside. There's no one outside of my scope that I don't have power and authority over. You know, the centurion asked that Jesus would act upon his servant's need, and he knew that he was outside of that ethnic group. He probably had a history of maybe working against, you know, God's people, but Jesus was willing. Look at verse 10. It says, when Jesus heard this, this faith, all you have to do, Nothing is outside of your control. I know what it's like to have authority. I know what it's like to say, go do this and it gets done. All you have to do is say, sickness be gone, paralysis no more. I know you have this authority. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said, those who followed, truly I tell you, no one in Israel has found such faith. And so right there, no one in Israel. He's saying, you are outside of Israel, but you have this faith that you're looking at me and you see power. And then verse 11, he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He says, there are people who are gonna be reached beyond God's people, beyond the Hebrew people. That's what I'm coming to establish. But then he goes on. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It seems to be saying like, those who have a little bit of fear that they might be on the outside seem to be getting in. Why those who smugly assume that they're good because of who they are or what their family is like aren't. Verse 13, and to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Do you ever feel 
like you are outside of Jesus' work and scope. Like you would never say Jesus can't do something here, but you feel like it has been on the outside long enough that maybe his power can't reach you. Or maybe you've asked, are you willing? And you're starting to think that God doesn't have good intentions for you because this sickness or this suffering has persisted. The healing of the centurion servant is here to tell you that you are well within the scope of God's influence. But it also says something about purpose. Your suffering is not too small to be noticed by God. He will receive you. And then he will use you. You Jesus enters Peter's house, and he finds Peter's sick mother-in-law. Look at verse 14. It says, and when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left, and she rose and began to serve him. Like, it was a fever. This is not leprosy. This is not paralysis. Like, it was a fever. We don't know. Maybe it was like a bad fever. Maybe it wasn't a bad fever. I mean, what I'm realizing more and more is like, my kids can like have a 103 degree temperature and they're like, oh, I don't feel very good. Can I have a grilled cheese sandwich? And I'm like, wow. If I have like a 101 degree temperature, it is like rigor mortis. Like, I'm like, I can't, I can't move. And then I get like really baby. Like, I don't get sick a lot, but when I get sick, I'm like, no, this is serious. This is not. And they're like, I thought you just needed water and act like you're not sick. No, this is different than what you experienced. This is bad. I mean, so like, like this is just a fever. Like, it's something kind of small. It might be something that you would say, man, I know it's suffering and it hurts, but it's not worth taking to God in prayer. It's not worth bringing to other people, God's people, so they might pray. It's not worth that. There's always gonna be starving kids somewhere. There's always gonna be some atrocity. And so you start to say, man, my suffering is just not important. Now listen, there's a way to miss this, to make your suffering the only thing that's important and be blind to everything else. But there's another way to miss this, to act like, man, it's not real and God doesn't care and he doesn't want to talk to you about it. He doesn't want to sit down with you in it. What if we were all like Peter's mother-in-law? We didn't assume our sufferings were too small for Jesus' attention. We didn't assume he wouldn't act because it wasn't atrocious. What if we just offered them, whether big or small, to Jesus? And at any moment of his movement in it, small or great, we just assumed we would take what he took back and we would just start to serve him with what he gave. You know, looking at this, I just want to ask, right now, who do you identify with the most? You know, do, do you identify with the, the, the desperate, the feelings of the desperate leper, feeling untouchable, too dirty to gain Jesus' interest, much less his embrace? Or, or do you identify with a centurion's paralyzed servant, like too far away from Jesus, outside his normal scope of work and power, paralyzed, unable to get to him? Or do you feel like Peter's mother-in-law, reluctant to bring your minor, persistent problems to Jesus when there's big problems out there? They're just too small and too insignificant. Or maybe I'm just too small and too insignificant to bother Jesus. 
But do you see how Jesus interacted? He stepped in and he healed each of them. He touched the leper and he was changed. He had power beyond what they could see his reach being. Life changed and the outsider was changed. He made time for Peter's sick mother-in-law. Like, is Jesus Jesus just for them or is Jesus Jesus for you also? Jesus means God saves. Is Jesus Jesus just for other people or is he Jesus Jesus for you also? Look at this invitation, verse 16. That evening, they, who are they? Like everybody. They brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirit with a word and healed all who were sick. Verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. They brought many. Jesus healed all. But it says more than that. Like if you look back in Isaiah 53, that's what Matthew's quoting. Like turn your Bible, you know, Bible drill. You gotta flip it over. If it's easy on your phone, it's just gonna hurt your thumbs in the long run. But you gotta flip it over. Isaiah 53, like what we see is he took our illness and bore our diseases. That's verse four. But there's more that follows. And the more that follows tells us everything that Jesus did. Like verse four tells us what he came to do. He came to carry our sufferings and sickness and sins. He came to pull them upon himself. He came to bear the weight with you, to take them upon his shoulders. But the verses that follow us tell us how it would be accomplished. Verses five and six of Isaiah 53. But he, Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He, Jesus, was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him, Jesus, was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his, Jesus' wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. Jesus entered into our affirmities to be the message of God. God is saying, I will heal you of your most dangerous disease, sin and death. Jesus entering in is God's, I will. I will touch you. You're not beyond my reach. There are no problems that are too small or too great that I'll deny. In the cross, Jesus is saying really loudly to you, look at me. The cross says, I will. Let me pray. Lord, I... Gosh, God, I doubt your intentions all the time. Lord, I am not patient. And when suffering persists, I start to panic. And like on one level, I believe these sayings so deeply. Like I believe them. But then on the next level, when suffering starts to erode that, I start to think, but what if you don't care? What if you don't care?
What if you don't care? Or what if you can't? You know, with, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to point you in, in two directions. And one is, man, coming to the table. And man, coming to the table is for everyone. It's for people who have their lives together. It's for people who do not have their lives together. It's for the people who have their lives together who are about to find out they don't have their lives together. We come and we remember that what gives us access to God, what is, what is God's I will is found in Jesus as he laid upon the cross and he died for our sins. And we need to be reminded of this often that God is willing because what Romans 8 says, he did not withhold his son. So what now will he withhold from you? And so we come and a piece of bread is torn away and handed to you, remind you that a physical body, Jesus' physical body was broken. And then you dip it either into the wine or the grape juice. The wine is in the stoneware, the grape juice is in the glassware to remind you that his physical blood was spilled. And in doing so, he guaranteed the statement from God, I will, I'm willing. And so we remind ourselves that of every week. But there's another movement and that's movement to just pray with someone. Like that might be someone by you and that might be someone back behind the black curtains. We have people there to pray for you. And it might be this, I have a persisting sickness. It's in my body and I want Jesus to help. And I'm just, I'm just doing what this says. I'm just asking Jesus to reach me and to touch me and to minister to me. And they're gonna, they're gonna pray for you. And they're gonna pray that whatever, man, you have physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever you have spiritually, that the God of the universe would reach down and touch you and that he would start a healing process in you. And I want you to know, I know that's scary to ask. Because maybe you've asked before and it's been long suffering. Ask again. Jesus, we need you and we need to be reminded and you are the God that says, I will. May we believe that even more this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.